Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started kilian is the co-founder and coo of refurbed which is the fastest growing online marketplace for sustainable products in europe in the interview kilian discusses his experience studying in shanghai and how it impacted him personally He chose to study and work in Shanghai initially to understand different cultures and economies. Shanghai's diverse environment helped him learn about cross-cultural communication and the value of diversity in business. Kilian's frustration with the lack of sustainability in the market led him to start Refurbed, a company focused on creating a more sustainable buying experience and promoting a circular economy. Despite initial challenges in raising funds due to the niche focus on sustainability, Kilian persevered and found like-minded investors. He sees great opportunities for growth and profitability while maintaining a strong commitment to sustainability. Hi Kilian and welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi Sumit, like nice to be here today. It's a wonderful to have you here. And can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Sure. My name is Kilian. I'm one of the founders of Refurbs. We are an online marketplace for sustainable consumption. So we really try hard to make sustainable consumption easier for the end customer as well as business customers. We are existing since six years and are based in Vienna, but operating across Europe. We're active in seven European countries and many of them we are the market lead. And myself, previously before founding Refurbs, I was working for Amazon. And within Amazon, I was in charge of launching the refurbished program for Amazon in Europe. I really have this background of the industry since yeah more than eight years now. And I'm really looking forward to expanding the portfolio of refurbished products and sustainable products further across Europe and really making the new normal in the society. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Can you take us back into your story? What led you to like refurbishment or entrepreneurship? Where are the dots connecting? I would say the first time I came to entrepreneurship was when I was doing my master's degree in Shanghai. That was 2013. 
And as a side job, I was working for a sustainable startup in Shanghai, which made pottery out of the ash of bamboo. So something really innovative at this point of time. It was a small Chinese company. I think they had like 20 or 30 employees. And I was working there as a working student. That was the first touch point of myself being in a startup and seeing the strong ownership that you can have there, something to drive and bring something forward, which was really interesting for me. But after finishing my master's degree, I decided to go more into the corporate life. I moved to Munich in the south of Germany and started my professional career at Amazon in the marketplace department. So I was in charge of supporting the biggest electronic sellers on the Amazon marketplace across Europe. And as a side project, because at Amazon, you always get side projects to your core job, I got asked to launch the Amazon Renewed program, which is a refurbished program of Amazon from the United States to Europe. That was a really big project. I haven't really heard before of refurbished products like nearly 10 years ago. It was, I think, a strong niche in Central Europe then. But I was directly falling in love with these products because I saw the benefits, lower price, sustainability, having a warranty. So it was really interesting for me to launch this program. And I was extremely motivated, but realized quite fast that Amazon has not a focus on it. I mean, everyone knows Amazon sells new products or is mainly known for selling new products as like as in eBay is known for selling used products. So for me, it was really the case that I realized I should make it big within Amazon. But I saw it really fast that Amazon doesn't really want to make it big because they want to sell more new products and not refurbished products from different reasons, also economic-wise, they make more money by selling new products. So I got extremely frustrated and then decided that if Amazon is not doing it right, then maybe someone has to do it themselves. And this was in the time when I met one of my former co-students, Peter, which I was studying with in Shanghai before starting at Refer, before starting at Amazon. And we both then had a discussion, like what we both are doing. He was a consultant at McKinsey for marketplaces. So we both discussed my industry knowledge about refurbishment, his experience and in strategy and marketplaces. And then we said, like, probably there is a huge market for a marketplace focusing solely on refurbished products. So really going into this category, building up this new category, and that was in the beginning of 2017. And then we decided, hey, let's found a company together. Uh, let's create a company which focusing on refurbished products and building the leading marketplace for refurbished products in Europe. And then we just missed one really important component for e-commerce business. And I think this is the technical part. We searched for our CTO. And luckily, we found Jürgen, who is our third co-founder and our CTO, like this genius in programming who built up the whole foundation for our marketplace business model and backend. And then together, we started Refurbed. And since then, yeah, it went really positive way and we grew ex exponentially since then. And we're really happy to be where we are right now, but of course, have still a strong vision going forward. Thank you for sharing that journey. And in hindsight, it all looks like so perfectly orchestrated or everything fell into place. But we all know, right, reality is very different. So can you share a bit more about that experience in Shanghai? Because it's not just a foreign country, but also a very different. How did that impact you as a person? And what role has that played now as a startup founder? For me personally, I'm originally from Hamburg in Germany. That's maybe some of you listeners will know. It's like the biggest harbor city in, in, in Germany, one of the biggest in Europe. So since I'm a child, I saw on the River Elbe, like the big container ships coming in with all of the products, mainly from Asia. I mean, this is the strongest export route and import route for Germany. I grew up seeing ships from coming from China with a lot of products. So I always was interested in China and therefore on purpose chose doing my master in China, in Shanghai, because I, I love new cultures. I'm really interested in getting an understanding about how different cultures behaving. I was interested in seeing 
how an economy like China is growing so much into the biggest economy across the globe. So that was one big motivational factor for me to choose Shanghai or China as a study study place. And at the same time, I also wanted to understand how they work. And I chose to do a, being a working student in a startup. And I think both of them learned me a lot about like diverse cultures, also communication within different cultures, culture stereotypes, because I think there are a lot of stereotypes for every individual culture, which is in the first place, of course, extremely confusing. But if you really get to know about it and also understand how to behave in specific cultures and also how to deal with specific cultures, I think you can gain a lot of benefits for successful business relationships, but also personal friendships and everything else. I would say that in general, Shanghai as a time helped me a lot. I mean, I also met my co-founder, not from a culture perspective. He's Austrian, I'm German, but also this was, of course, in the end of the day, looking back, one of the reasons why we are sitting here where we are right now is a lot of fortune come into place, I would say, being in Shanghai. But also in my university, doing my master there, I think we were 80 students and had like 42 different nationalities. So it was extremely diverse from a student body. And now if we're going in or looking into the referred company that we're having and our employee culture and, and diversity, I think we are currently 300 people from 40 different countries. Um, on a daily basis here, I'm using my, I would say, improved cultural awareness or maybe also one of the strengths that I'm having to being able to being good in cult cross-culture communication, understanding about the different behaviors. And I'm really proud that we have such a diverse team because I think it's really valuable to see the different strengths of people from different cultures and using them to the best possible success of a business. So I think it helped me a lot learning about the cultures. And this time in Shanghai was for sure a huge foundation for me as a person, but also as an entrepreneur. Thank you for sharing that. And it's like so easy to sometimes miss out on these learnings, which we learn just from like accidental experiences and what big role it can play in our lives. Can you share a bit more about, you mentioned that you felt frustrated while working at Amazon, right? So you saw a vision, you wanted to create that change. Can you share a bit more about the vision? What are you trying to create in the future? For me, I mean, I think when we also being honest with ourselves and looking out into the world, and natural disasters are happening every day. And it's not like once a year, some disaster happens and it's a big surprise and it's horrible. But literally, when you're looking across the globe, nearly every day there's a disaster. I mean, right now you have this big fires in Canada, which when you saw the pictures of New York, the sky of New York, where the dust is in there and everything. On the other hand, you have floods and other places across the globe and so on. I think it's a reality that climate change is real and not as Donald Trump said once, that it's a hoax. So I think we should all take it extremely serious. And personally, from my perspective, it's the biggest challenge that we have as a human society and we ever had. We have to tackle it if we really want to ensure that the future generations have a similar great planet Earth than we were able to see and live on at the current state. So we all have to do something. And I think with Refurbed, we want to be a part of the solution. In the end of the day, it will not be us who can solve the climate issue. It has to be a combination out of many businesses working on this, on finding solutions, on the consumers which are working on, on, on understanding that the consumption behavior has to change and they really have to think how they can be more sustainable. But also, of course, on the regulatory side, right, where we have to create regulations, rules, legislative developments to ensure that sustainability and circular economy as part of it is at the core of all of the decisions we're taking. So this triangle between government, economy, and then the citizens has to work together and close to each other to really make this happen. And with Refurb, we really try to 
enable effectively all of these three angles in, in a specific way to be more sustainable. Because in the end of the day, when each, if it's consumer or business, decides what to what products to buy, they have to find sustainable options and alternatives to, instead of buying new products, for example. And we really want to ensure that on refurb you can find as much as you can. So our really vision is to enable consumers to take a more sustainable buying decision and ensuring that circular economy is not a niche, but in the near future is really the normality. And everyone will ask questions how we could be so stupid in the past to have a linear economy. And this is really the strongly goal that we have as a company that I have personally also, if I'm presenting, representing refurbed in different angles, but also having keynotes myself to really notch people to a more sustainable lifestyle and really rethink their own behaviors as well, really strongly to be an ethical citizen and doing their parts of driving this change and really fighting as strongly as we all can against climate change. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to applaud you for like listening to that frustration that you felt, but actually taking action, right? To not let it become a disempowering moment, but to actually do something about it and doing it like an entrepreneur. I think business is the best way to create change in the world, right? Rather than just activism or any other ways that you can take, like, take the same idea ahead. At the same time, right? It's, it's, it's not easy. Entrepreneurship by itself is not easy. But then when you mix it with, with like a vision, which is coming from that personal desire, to create a better world. Can you share one or two of the tough choices that you had to make along the way in like in trying to raise funds or convincing other people or anything else that you have faced? I mean, one, I think like also well known when you're looking back six years ago, when we started the company, for example, on the venture capital side, we are a venture capital funded company. We decided on that on purpose because we said that if you really want to Going to make an impact as big as possible, we have to grow fast. Grow fast from the perspective that our business model works the way that for every more product, refurbished products we are selling, instead of someone buying a new product, there's a really strong correlation to having less CO2 emissions, less electronic waste, a more circular economy. As bigger as we as a company get, and therefore as bigger or more successful we are on an economic base, the bigger, the more positive and bigger the impact on the environment as well, on the sustainability part. Is. We on purpose chose to raise funds through venture capital and, and creating like a company based on venture capital funding. But six years ago, sustainability was not on the top notch of all of the funds, right? So for them, it was more about being as growing as fast as possible. Sustainability was not really making a huge difference in there. It was really to creating a 10x return on investment in the end of the day. That was the goal of the funds. It was in the beginning specifically difficult for us to found to raise funds because there wasn't a strong focus on it. And I think marketplaces at this point of time were also a bit out already. There was a time, I think, 10 or 15 years ago when marketplaces were like the in thing and everyone wanted to invest into it. So for us, it was in the beginning really difficult to raise funds. It took a lot of time to convince investors that we really want to have a sustainable mindset as a company and not throwing it over the border. Because when we founded the company as three founders, we did it with the mission of really creating a business that kind of doing their part of changing the world and changing the way we consume as the heart of the business. So sustainability was literally the reasons the, or the reason why we founded the company. And for a lot of investors, it was a bit confusing because they were not really aware that this is a thing nowadays. And there was a challenge. But on the other hand, when we're looking now, specifically the last, I think, one or two years, probably all new funds are focusing on sustainability, on ESG, on the environment. So it plays an extremely big role 
which makes it, I mean, which I think is great because it has to be, <laughs> but I think it's also a bit of worrying from the perspective that now as, as it is a trend and now it's required from everyone in the wider audience and the society that now everyone is doing it. But historically, when it was not a trend yet, it was not a cool thing to do. It still was a niche, right? Also, when we always searched for new investors, we always wanted to find some which had a, a perspective and a, a personal opinion to be more sustainable and doing their part on the ESG side. So that is also how our cap table looks like, that we have really strongly ESG-focused investors on them because they share the same vision with us. They also are not there for just the short term, but for the long term, because we really want to create something big really create something which has a huge impact in the long run. Mm. And therefore, we also, of course, need the right partners. Thank you for sharing that. And I think thank you for that like courage that what has taken through that period to persevere. And it's so important, right? It's so easy to say that, let me get the money which is available rather than say, I'm choosing partners for the long term. So thank you for sharing that. And since you mentioned about fast growth, can you share about a little bit about the future? What are your plans for the future? What are the big opportunities that you see lying ahead of you? I personally am always like a positive thinker and optimist. So I think there are so many great opportunities which are still untapped in the market. Reviewing the last six years and also looking forward, I mean, I think also from the macro environment factors and in general, the venture capital market, for example, until last February, March, everyone was on growth. So profitability was not really a case to discuss. It was or no investor cared really about like, is a company getting profitable? So until... Yeah, last uh, beginning of last year, we also were just on, on gross mindset. And because the market changed, we, of course, also had to adjust our strategy to more profitability-focused ones. We shifted a lot of different things in the company, less market, or at least less marketing burn, for example, being more efficient, optimizing more our behavior in all of the different organizational parts and departments, and how we are interacting with customers. We are really strongly now on this past profitability. Because I think also it absolutely makes sense, right? It is not only like a trend right now or the requirement, but it also makes sense to not only building a business which creates a more sustainable consumption, but also create a sustainable business itself. So that we're not depending on funding anymore. And this is the goal that we're having, right? So we're really strongly going in this direction to be profitable. But at the same time, of course, we're looking ahead in which in which areas we still want to grow in and want to go to. I mean, in general, it's the business what we're doing. So selling refurbished products on our platform. I think there we have a lot of potential to go into new countries. We are actually active, as I mentioned in the beginning, in seven European countries. There are many other European countries we still can entering into. And then at a later stage, we're of course, also looking outside of Europe for enabling customers also there to buy products more sustainable. That is one area. Another area is, of course, the business model part. We historically came strongly from the B2C so we are mainly selling products to end customers in the past. We started our B2B business so that we're directly approaching now companies, corporates to also purchasing their IT equipment, if it's company smartphones, if it's company notebooks, through our B2B team. So that is a huge, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible big market mm -hmm. where we're now tapping into. And it's really interesting because from a European legislation perspective and regulatory perspective, there are now much more requirements for companies coming up in the beginning of next year on sustainable reportings. So these companies have to rethink a lot now about how they can really optimize their sustainability reporting and how they can be more sustainable. And buying refurbished products, for example, for their companies and devices is a really easy way to do because you save money, you do something good for the environment, you have a warranty. So really a lot of positive sides. So I think the market potential on B2B is really big. But we're also looking, for example, into other business model opportunities like the buyback program. So we also enabled customers now 
to selling back their old devices. So if you have a smartphone in the cupboards of your household, you can now sell it back through refurbed into the market, into the industry, so that they get refurbished again and then being able to be purchased again from customers. I mean, I guess maybe you as well have a couple of smartphones at your household, right? Because we are used to that, that we keep it. But in the end of the day, there's so many valuable resources in there that we really have to bring them back into the circle. And we want to also enable customers with our referred buyback program for it. Um, So this is also the big opportunity we're looking into and we're further expanding. And the last and third one, I think, is also going into new categories. So really strongly coming from consumer electronics. So we started with smartphones and notebooks. We then added like tablets, smartwatches, consoles, but we also have now household goods like Hoover, kitchen products like coffee machines or mixers and even sports products like e-bikes. So we really also want to extend the categories that we are offering to ensuring that our vision about being this one-stop shop for sustainable consumption so that you can as a customer or a business customer and customer can find everything you need. We of course also need to expanding our categories. So this is the last pillar, I would say, which we're also working on and we see a lot of potential in the future. So really a lot to do, but I think really exciting that there are so many opportunities for us still there. Yes, that sounds like a whole bunch of opportunities and, and like a lot of growth waiting ahead for you. At the same time, you are also the C, which means that being in charge of like everything operating and executing smoothly. Can you share what challenges or what is your biggest pain point right now? So there is an element which is outside the organization, but what is the inside the organization element as you scale your company also? What is that big challenge that that it presents? I would say the biggest challenge specifically for a marketplace model in general, but also also of course for our marketplace model, is to balancing out demand and supply. I mean, like starting a marketplace model is always a big challenge because you have this chicken and egg problem, like where to start getting the suppliers on board or or getting the supply on board or getting the demand on board. Of course, you have to get the supply on board first because if you cannot, like uh, acquiring customers, if there's nothing to buy, but it's really difficult in the beginning to uh, tell suppliers like, hey, we have this amazing platform. Do you want to sell on our platform? And they're like, yeah, how many customers do you have? You say zero, we need you first. We were able to, of course, accomplish this this first hurdle, I would say, of being a marketplace business model six years ago. But nowadays, it's much more about balancing out the supply and demand. Because if we would theoretically onboard 10 or 20 new suppliers, the problem which we would have there is that if you're not also increasing the demand in the same pace, that our each of our individual suppliers would have a smaller share of wallet. So settling yeah. less products than maybe the week before. So it's really about balancing it out to ensure that we have this great experience for the custom for both customer sides and one customer side, which is the obvious one, is the end customer, which is buying the product. But also as a marketplace, you have the customer side of the supplier, the ones which is your partner, which is providing the stock, the products that you want to sell on your platform, and really creating a great experience um, on both customer sides is always a challenge. It's always something you really strongly and hardly have to work on. But it's also something which I think. We really try to optimize as the refurbed marketplace because my learning also working for Amazon, working for the Amazon marketplace is if a lot of these bigger marketplaces um, kind of starting to treat the supplier really badly and just focusing on the end customer. And I think maybe big companies have the perspective that from the power, from the size power that they're having and and how big they are, they can do that. But I personally believe that if you really want to be successful, you have to create long-lasting relationships and long-lasting relationships are based on both sides. You really want to have a supplier which is staying with you for a decade or longer, right? And is growing together with you year over year. 
And you want to have on the customer side, you want to have customers which are regular coming back. So starting maybe buying a smartphone, next thing they're buying a tablet and the next thing they're buying a coffee machine and maybe an e-bike. So you really have to create an outstanding experience on both sides. And this, of course, is always a challenge for marketplaces. I would say it's also one of the biggest challenges we have and specifically myself in the CEO role as well. Thank you for sharing that. And looking at inside the organization, what what challenges do you see as you scale the organization, maybe maybe to like thousands of employees, or a yeah. much bigger scale than it is today? Yeah, so I mean, I would say we we grow ex- extremely fast over the last couple of years. I mean, 2017 we were three people. I think in the beginning of COVID we were 40, and then last year in 2022 we doubled from 150 to nearly 300, and right now we are around 300 people. So, of course, a lot of change from an organizational perspective. I mean, if you're starting a startup and being 10, 15 people, you're all sitting in one room, you're eating pizza together in the evening, you're getting drinks, or maybe sometimes even going out during the week to celebrate the success of the day and the next day starting hangover partying again. Of course, this developed over time, and now the organization got much bigger. I mean, also, I think until we were 220 people, I was doing every final interview with every candidate starting with us. It's not possible anymore, sadly. I mean, I really enjoyed doing it. But I mean, just to be realistic, it doesn't work the way anymore if you are reaching a specific size of the business. Of course, in a specific way, there is a change in, in, in the company on in the regard of how big we scaled up how to be more efficient, how to optimize individual processes, that you're now really having a foundation of teams which are specialized in the specific fields and not like doing, some person is doing all of the different department work as well, like we did in the beginning where I was being the sales team, the customer service team, the people team and, and everything else. Now it's more split up in different teams. So one of the challenges, of course, is to continuously having this cross-department collaboration. So do not go into the silo mode where every department works for themselves, but really being able to work together on this bigger goal of bringing this company forward and moving forward to towards our vision with having our mission at heart. For example, how we are working on this b- big topic is that we introduced OKRs last year so that we really have this objective, key objectives for the whole company. And then every individual department or squad or a team is then building their own objectives and key results, how to build up to this overall company goal to really ensure that we're all aligned in the direction we're we are going together and in the past we are having in front of us. But of course, this change of company size automatically means a change of strategies, change of understanding, change of collaboration. And there will be always additional tipping points, let's say, where a new cultural shift or a new operational model shift will happen with bigger scales of the business. I think we're now really in this transition period from being a startup to be a proper company, also yeah. with our vision or goal now to be a profitable and sustainable company. And yeah, there will be more coming in the future, but I think and historically, or looking back in the history, until now we manage all of them really well. Yeah, thank you for sharing that journey. I think every founder's role and every company changes with, with this kind of a growth. Can you, like, as we begin to wrap this up, can you also share how have you invested or how have you changed yourself as a person, as a leader during this phase, right? Because it, it involves a lot of pressure, a lot of demands on your time, on your energy. So how have you continued to invest and grow yourself as a person and as a leader? So personally, I think, I mean, I never had this perspective of copying one person, which I saw like this, your role model example, or you know, I want to be the Steve Jobs or whatever it would be. That was never like in, in my perspective to just copy someone else. Since I started working, I always, you know, looked at leaders I worked with and 
try to get why they're doing what and what skill sets and maybe also values I liked from them and build my own puzzle. I took all of these individual skills that I liked that I didn't like and created my own puzzle, how I would like to be a leader as and how I want to operate. But as you said, I mean, of course, it also strongly changed over time. In the beginning, I was much more operationally involved than I am now. Now, of course, it's much more strategic task, giving a guidance to the teams, being a brainstorming partner and supporting them in challenges instead of doing the operationally day-to-day work. I would say over time, it is about developing and working on yourself, getting a lot of feedback. So I always love to get feedback, specifically the areas of improvement. I personally learned always much more from things that people told me I could improve on and I didn't. Oh, I haven't done perfectly. I mean, I also, of course, appreciate and being happy if someone tells me where they think I'm really good at or what I did extremely well. And everyone likes compliments. I think that is a, it's a human behavior. But from a learning process and personal development process, I think telling me or asking for feedback on areas of improvement, I think has a much bigger value. Uh, I mean, I also have mentors. I work closely together with other founders, which are maybe the same size, maybe even also bigger sizes companies as us to brainstorm together what challenges they have, or if they had a challenge, which I now currently facing, they had maybe as well, how to improve it. We in the company itself, like are also working with business coaching. So we have like specifically also our senior management team can work with business coaches, which of course support you in specific decisions, giving you guidance, reflect with you on specific things that happened, which I think is also extremely helpful personally for myself and for personal development. But I also have to admit, I learn every day. So every day I am improving. If it's a per mil or a percentage, I don't know. But it's a constant process. And I think I will never reach the status where I would say, now I'm perfect. <laughs> I don't think that will never be the case. It's always about adjusting to the actual situations. And I personally really love this challenge also for myself to constantly working on improving and being a better person myself. Because in the end of the day, it benefits not only the company as a whole, but probably okay. also all of the individual teams I'm constantly working with. And so I think it's a really important personal goal for everyone to constantly think how to improve yourself and what areas you have maybe where you can be a better person in the future. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for opening up, right? Because it's so easy to become like, like I know it all leader. And what you are sharing is the importance of like slowing down seeking advice and seeking that feedback, especially that which you don't want to hear. And then using that to integrate and, and to learn in this process. And you very well said, right, it's a never-ending journey. It's not like you're going to become perfect in two years or 20 years. It still continues. Certainly not. <laughs> it would be great, <laughs> but I think it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before we end, Killian, if anybody who is listening who wants to reach out to you or find out more about what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do? I mean, I think the easiest way is on LinkedIn because I'm also really try to share regularly updates on what I'm doing, where I'm participating at, what is the important messages I want to share on sustainability on circular economy. So I think please feel free to add me on LinkedIn. It's just under my name, really easy to find me. And yeah, there you will also be updated with with the most important news, what's happening in my life, what's happening at Referred, but also what's happening on a European base regarding circular economy and sustainability. Thank you. Thank you for sharing what you shared. And I want to wish you all the best for your journey ahead. Thanks. It was really great to be here today. Thanks a lot for your time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. 
not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.